the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir. Five after five o'clock here on this basic Thursday edition of Lifeline. How are you? Great to have you on board for another edition of the program. We are, of course, here in this stead every Monday through Friday, except on the days that they lock the doors on us, <laughs> addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. And who knows, they may be kicking us out and locking the doors before it's all over with uh, today. i uh, got a great show planned for you, so let's get uh, right down to cases, shall we? There's so much going on in the world of news. And um, what's going on everywhere from the economic scene to Wall Street to um, talk of uh, the ongoing tariff debate, the recent outcome, or lack thereof, of the G7 meetings in France, and, of course, uh, almost perennially issues that come up closer to home. And one of the great programs that airs on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, is called Reimagine America. It helps tackle a lot of these issues and not just talk about them from the standpoint of what's concerning, what uh, ought to be of, uh, to our attention, how we ought to react, but to also rethink um, our approach to many of these issues and, and perhaps in doing so dig down a little bit deeper to more solution-oriented conversation as opposed to just the old-fashioned Monday morning quarterback-type criticism. That's exactly what happens every Sunday, typically at 9 a.m., except for times when the A's baseball game is playing. On Reimagine America, joining me now is its founder, president, and host, Joyce Cordy. Joyce, great to have you back on the show. It's been a while. It has been a while. How are you? Say so they've been ke- either keeping you locked up or or awfully busy, and uh, whatever the case may be, whatever the excuse, we're we're delighted to have you back on the show. My goodness, so much to catch up on here. I almost don't know where to begin. So let me begin with um, one of the more recent stories. Just today, the Inspector General releasing report on former FBI Director James Comey. Now we've learned that there's not going to be any. A prosecution against him for uh, some of the activities that he engaged in, releasing information to the media, public, so on and so forth. But what, what do you make of all of this? And have you had a chance to, to hear much about the uh, the IG report at all? It just came out. Well, I, I, I have not yet read the entire report. It's 83 pages. Um, but the gist of it is that, that James Comey, who knew exactly what he was doing, violated some policy, but he did not release classified information to the press as he has been charged by the uh, by the president. So uh, Comey's own tweet this morning said, well, I'm not going to wait for a formal apology, but, you know, an I'm sorry would be nice. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think, you know, Comey comes out as a credible witness. And the fact of the matter is that if 
President Trump had not fired Comey, the whole situation um, with uh, with the, the National Security Advisor and the, the loyalty and, and all of that sort of stuff would never have come to light. You know, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because you think back historically, and, 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 and certainly while it was well within the president's right and privilege to terminate his FBI director and appoint a new one, uh, historically, and I'm going to date myself here because a lot of this certainly goes back to the J. Edgar Hoover days, but there was always kind of a, how should we say, a, 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 a disquieting sense of respect between both sides. And, and, and usually the, the president let the FBI director do his job and, and everybody kind of tried to stay out of everybody's way, recognizing that, you know, uh, we can potentially do a lot of damage to each other here. This is one of the first cases where you've had real public sniping that went on between the then FBI director and president of the United States, certainly something that I think few presidents before would have ever dared thinking or trying to do had it been J. Edgar Hoover still occupying that office. No, no, J. Edgar Hoover was, as you well know, a boy who kept the book on everybody. He certainly did. With the old, the old adage, every time a new senator or member that uh, had anything to do with the FBI purse strings would be elected to office, they'd run out and send the agents around to collect up all kinds of dirt on them. And then Hoover would summons them to come to his office and say, now, Mr. Senator, uh, in the process of another investigation, we came across this information. We realize if it went public, it could be very damaging to your career, but I want you to know your secret is safe with us. <laughs> and it was also true of presidents. That's true, too, isn't it? it? Yeah, Richard, Nix- Richard Nixon, most importantly, huh? Uh-huh, which was job security. So after, after Hoover passes away in office, Congress said, we want the FBI director's job to be apolitical. And thus they created a 10-year term so that the president who appointed the uh, the director of the FBI would not serve the same length of time as that director. And that was done so that people would look at the FBI director as a law enforcement official and not a political appointee. And... And that's the norm that Trump broke. You know, he didn't have to like Comey, but he didn't, while he had the executive prerogative, if you believe in the imperial presidency, which is something we could spend a day talking about, then he had the prerogative to do what he did, but he didn't, but it's not done. It's not the norm. The norm is to allow that law enforcement officer to serve as a law enforcement officer. Yeah, you kind of want at least the at least the 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 impression of of a little bit of separation here. I mean, while certainly you know you've got the the FBI director serving at the pleasure of the president, working under the Justice Department and the Attorney General, who of course is an appointee of the president. Uh, you know, we can harken back to the '60s when Jack Kennedy appointed his own brother to that position, which certainly kind of blurred the lines of of, of a sense of independence there. But yeah, you, you kind of I guess in the in the best or most ideal world like to kind of leave that uh, leave those lines unblurred I, I think that's important and remember Robert Kennedy supervised Hoover that's right 
who had lots of dirt on Big Brother. Um, and um, and so uh, this circumstance is so different. But the fact of the matter is that, yes, and the IG says this, yes, Comey kind of broke um, a little bit of policy, but it's policy that's broken regularly, as one of the reporters said today. Wow, if people didn't violate this policy, we wouldn't have a job because, you know, the FBI when they want to get something out. This is the way they do it. Well, and we've learned that here in, in, in recent years, almost ad nauseum, that there's this ongoing sense that uh, if they want to get information out in order to try and, and spur on a reaction by someone or drive somebody to the surface, leak the information to a key member of the press. And uh, uh, the press has un- unwittingly done more uh, more dirty work on behalf of uh, the, the agency than, than perhaps anyone really, uh, at the end of the day, really realized. If you've just joined us, Joyce Cordy is with us on the program. Joyce hosts Reimagine America, heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. typically on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. And I would invite you to check out Joyce's website for more information, resources, a podcast of recent programs and the like. Go to reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. I should also qualify. I say typically at 9 a.m. Sunday mornings. That's because sometimes the program moves to the end of the Oakland A's baseball broadcast. Just depends on the day in which you uh, which you catch her. We hope you'll make an effort to catch her every Sunday morning. All right, let's pause for a moment. The pause that refreshes will get you an update on traffic. When we come back, I want to pivot to a another topic that's very much been in the news the last few days, and that is the G7. What exactly got accomplished in this most unique, almost, um, how should we say, everybody trying not to upset anybody else during the course of this meeting? Did they really accomplish anything solid? We'll get Joyce Cordy's input as our conversation continues. Right now, a conversation on traffic, 515. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Radio talk show host Joyce Cordy, founder and president of Reimagine America. She hosts a program by the same name, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. You can check her out online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Let's talk G7. Used to be G8 till 2014, and Russia got kind of tossed to the side because of the annexation of Crimea, so it has since then been the the G7, and, um, you know, probably in a sense a good idea, meaning, Joyce, that these, these sorts of gatherings of key leaders ought to be people and countries with like minds, like goals, like democracies. Russia always seemed to sort of be the, the odd man out from the very get-go. So I, I don't know that Russia not having a seat at that table is necessarily a bad thing. But let's talk about your impressions on the heels of uh, the G7. Uh, how do you think it went? And, and did it go as anybody expected? pretty well went as most people expected. Um, I think there's a lot of head-scratching. I agree with you. I don't see the necessity of Russia being there. The The purpose of the G7, G8, you know, which has gone back and forth over the last 20 years, is 
to have a kind of informal meeting of the minds of the leaders of the world's largest democracies. And, you know, there was, there are, are certain uh, illusions to democracy within uh, Russia today, but it's not a democracy, and then we call him bizarre for a reason. So I found the president's uh, support for Putin and saying this was Obama's silly idea. It was the the collective wisdom of the leaders of the G7 to say, if you annex Crimea by forcibly moving your little green men in uh, and refusing to leave, that we don't view that, we view that as an invasion and there is a consequence for that. We won't invite you to our little confab. Um, other than that, I think the G7 played out as, just about the way that we expected, kind of the G6 plus one. Um, a little support between Trump and uh, Boris Johnson for a hard Brexit, which appears now inevitable. Uh, hang on to your wallet. Um, and the discussion of a, of a uh, unilateral uh, you know, trading agreement between um, Great Britain and the United States versus Great, you know, the United States and the EU. Um, some concerns about tariffs on French wine because um, the European governments want to tax some of the profits of American tech companies. Nothing new there. They've been doing it for a while, and that was why the American tech tech uh, tech companies didn't want to pay taxes on their gross. Um, profits in the United States. So nothing new there, but you know, it was, it became, it, it made for interesting tele, uh, television uh, uh, reporting. But it really was the G6 plus one. I mean, he, uh, Trump did not even go to the climate change meeting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused about that, because while I realize that there are very divergent opinions on uh, climate change, its veracity, the degree that it's affecting uh, the world, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, I, I get all of that. But it would seem to me if, if the United States says, hey, there are some things here that we feel are excessive, that could be um, more unhealthy to the economy than to the to the environment, uh, wouldn't you want to have a place at the table to discuss that? What I found troubling was the absence of leadership there from the United States at that juncture that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're part of the group here and making decisions that impact the group and you know, some of the key democracies around the world, don't you want to have a place at the table, the very least, to be able to speak up and say, I disagree, or we're not going to vote that way, or we're not going to support that particular initiative? Um, I know it was said that uh, there was a meeting between the president and um, the, the soon outgoing uh, um, uh, premier of, uh, chancellor, rather, of Germany, Angela, <coughs> pardon me, Angela Merkel, and and uh, Prime Minister Modi of of um, India, and yet ironically, when that climate change meeting took place, that the administration was absent from both Angela Merkel and Modi were present at it. So that 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 seemed to be a little bit of sleight of hand. But I I'm 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 still troubled as to why we felt it wasn't necessary for us to be there and have a voice. Well, I think we have to be there to have a voice because we are the largest economy in the world 
and there is a lot of mischief that the other six, who are among our biggest trading partners, can do to us um, if we're not there to defend our position. Um, and, and we could do a lot to mitigate their dependence on Russia in terms of things like liquefied natural gas. But if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're standing up, your would-be uh, trading partner. It's hard to think how you're going to make a deal. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you, you got know. you got to be there in order to do the negotiating. And you know, again, I think not having a presence there to be actively voicing our position or looking out for our best interest and doing it on the basis of well, we just don't believe any of this. Just just seems to run counterintuitive. Yeah. I mean, it's disrespectful. It's extremely disrespectful, and these are people whose respect you need in order to manage a rules-based world. So the problem becomes when, you know, when Macron says in advance we're not going to have a joint communique, is that, that in many ways the United States, by not being at the table forcefully in a number of these areas, um, Seeds its leadership, and, and it is the leadership of the United States that has maintained this international rules-based global um, national security and trading environment for the better part of a century now, since the end of World War II. And we don't want to cede either our role in that, um, in that set of alliances nor do we want to risk its disintegration, because God knows what happens then. Well, that's just it. And I remember as a kid, you know, there would be times when I would get out of line, and, and, and my father would very deliberately remind me who the father and who the son was, and that I had an obligation to show him respect. Never once do I recall him saying, and if you don't respect me, I'm going to withdraw my presence and my authority and disappear. No, he was going to stay and prove the point and make sure that I got the fact that there was going to be a sense uh, and a level of respect granted to him because of his position. And I think it ought to be the same way, particularly when, as you point out, absent being there allows them to have discussions behind your back that could potentially have a deleterious impact on you, and you're not there to even defend yourself, or in this case, defend us. Enough and on that, I, I want to um, I want to pivot to another issue and have you comment briefly. Um, the the uh, the Prime Minister of France invited Iranian Foreign Minister uh, to come to the meeting. Um, was that a opportunity spurned to not try to sit down and have some conversation? Um. Yes and no. Um, the leader of the free world should not get surprised by having an avowed, um, you know, uh, enemy, so to speak, uh, show up invited by one of your friends. I, I, I thought that was a little <clears throat> out of the norm. A little distasteful. That's like that's like going to a party and finding out somebody has, you know, unbeknownst to you, taken the time to invite, you know, your 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 ex husband or whatever. That you know, and not bother to tell you a surprise may be coming. A surprise is afoot. Yeah, that seemed to be very inappropriate, uh, very disrespectful in that regard. And you would think that at the end of the day, if there isn't a sense across the West 
that there are degrees to which Iran is a threat, if not an enemy to all of us, either separately or collectively, uh, seems to kind of be a disconnect with reality on Macron's part. Um, well, Macron, who has his own domestic issues, um, I, I think thought it was worth a wild gamble. Little little I, grandstanding I there. Hey, look over little, here, kind of a thing. A little, a little grandstanding. A little, a little. Okay, so here, if we think about when the U.S. is not at the table, then everybody scrambles for I want to be the leader. Mm-hmm. So that was a little of that. It was a little of Macron showing that he was a big boy. Um, and what he may get in in return for that is an invitation by Putin, uh, for Putin, uh, in 2020 to the United States. Um, and, and you know that's not out of the realm of the possible. No, in I fact, we've 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 directly heard the president suggest that he might even just do that. Wouldn't that be an interesting uh, turn of events? I don't know how politically wise it would be. To, to make such a move that would put it a scant three months ahead of the election next year that could raise certain questions that may not be all of that uh, favorable uh, under the political circumstances, but it certainly would be an interesting return gesture. Hey, we're going to take a brief time out. We're visiting today with talk show host Joyce Cordy. She is the founder and president of Reimagine America. And you can get more information about both her program and uh, her musings and insights online and her organization at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Make it point to tune in Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., the answer for Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. All right, a timeout. We're going to come back. We're going to pivot to the topic of trade and the markets as our conversation with talk show host Joyce Cordy continues. Right now, though, we're going to have a conversation about traffic and your Thursday ride home. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're back with Joyce Cordy. Joyce's program, of course, Sunday mornings, typically at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. Information on the web, resources, and podcasts at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. I say typically at 9 a.m. because sometimes Oakland A's baseball will interrupt that, but typically then her program will be on following A's baseball. You can check out the schedule and more information again at Joyce's website, reimagineamerica.org. Let's pivot to the topic of trade and what's going on with that whole issue. Um, The markets we know historically, Joyce, despise uncertainty. And we've certainly seen this back and forth, up and down. The president sends out a tweet. The markets react. China says something. The markets react. Um, Most recently, we saw today um, about a 250, 300-point spike because there was a comment made by foreign minister for China that they would be willing to come to the table and sit down and talk again. I've I've got to wonder, in, in relationship to all of the consternation that the Dow seems to be going through and the concerns about what some have even characterized almost as socialism going to farmers by paying them to compensate for their losses because China has pulled out of purchases of major 
farm exports from the United States, including wheat, soy, dairy, poultry, and pork, wouldn't it be better to have these conversations behind closed doors rather than publicly and just stand up one day and have a press conference and say, we've been talking for eight months or two years, this is what we finally arrived at, and get it all done at once instead of this back and forth, up and down, maybe yes, maybe no, and then unfortunately watching in the meanwhile people's 401ks just wildly swing all over the map? Yes, it would be, but it wouldn't change the facts on the ground which is every time there is, they think they had a deal. They thought they had a deal on, on something as simple as, as the Chinese outlawing the, the uh, sale of fentanyl through the United States mail. Okay, they thought they had a deal. Then the Chinese backed away from that deal. Then Trump got mad and imposed some tariffs. Then they said, okay, we won't buy this particular commodity. And those commodity losses are one of the things that worries me the most because, you know, we've worked really hard. Our, our agricultural industry has modernized and used its incredible um, efficiency in order to really feed a very big part of the world, including China, which is unable to feed its 7, million, uh, 7 billion people. So when... You say, I'm not going to buy those soybeans. I'm going to buy them from Brazil. Uh, thus, you have people clear, clearing forest in the Amazon. Okay? That market is potentially lost forever. Well, that's just so, it. And, you know, the one thing, and I understand what you're saying. I mean, at, at, at the core, uh, l- let's be mindful that communist China is not an enemy. They may have historically been, uh, not a friend, rather. They may have historically been a trade partner, but they are politically very different than we are. It's still, after all, communist China. And I, But I think that the miscalculation here is not recognizing the importance of saving face and the fact that when you do things that can be perceived as a potential embarrassment to Beijing, they're not going to respond positively or kindly. So don't we run the risk of, of poking the bear, as the saying used to go, uh, and, and, and having to suffer the consequences when the debate over trade is carried out in this very public fashion? Well... I think there are two separate issues there. Yes, you're absolutely right. You don't, you know, the businesswoman in me um, says, no, you don't carry on your negotiations uh, step by step in the ble- on the front page of the newspaper. Um, on the other hand, um, if you are living in the 21st century, you don't use 18th century instruments. After all, the, the, the Tea Party, that was a, a British tariff on tea. Tariffs are a are an ancient tool in a modern world, and yes, China needed to be brought to heel. China's intent is not mercantile; it's it's to be the hegemonic power of the late twenty first and twenty second century. Um, and if they can't invent their way or grow their way, they'll steal their way. Okay, so um, that China is presents a risk to the world, the rules-based world order of the last three quarters of a century is absolutely true and is known is a known fact to our trading partners. So 
what concerns me is not that Trump correctly said somebody's got to stand up to China, and I guess it's me. Okay, I think that was a correct assessment. But then you got to look at the really smart guys around you, the, the global money men, like you know, like Gary Cohn and Steve Munchen um, and Robert Lighthouser, um, and say, okay, guys, how do we go about about bringing China? Uh, to the negotiating table in a serious way and keeping them there. Um, and the first thing that all three of those men, in all probably, you know, probably certainly recommended was we need to get our allies together. We need to go to the World Trade Organization. We need to say, you know what, China's the second biggest economy in the world and now the largest consumer economy. So, you know what? They are not a developing nation. They need to play by the same rules that we, Western Europe and the United States, Canada, etc., play by. Absolutely. And the other point, too, is that you could so easily rally so much support, because in my world travels, the one thing that I hear repeatedly is how damaging to local manufacturing, local production, local business has China been that in countries from Europe to Central and South America and even parts of Asia that say, we cannot economically compete with this behemoth organization that has seemingly limitless resources, both human resources and, and uh, you know, um, uh, earth-based resources. And so as a result, we're really suffering. I bet that you could get together a goodly sum of countries that are doing trade with China that would help kind of uh, corral them in and and get them, as you say, to sit down at the table and stay there until an agreement is reached. At reached, yes. And you're you're you know you're absolutely right. There are a couple more points to what China's doing. You see, China's not a benign actor. I mean, they do this in order to develop and and um, growth strategy is a is a strategic political strategy, not a trading partnership. Um, and so the two things we also have to remember is the Chinese don't have scruples, okay? The Chinese are the most, are the mo- have the most coal in the world, and they burn the most, okay? The rare earth metals, and we have them here in the United States. We can't mine them because the, destru- the ecological destruction is such that there is just no way that that can be done. So we're going to have to learn how to recycle existing ones. And you can't make all these electronics without those rare earth metals. But the Chinese have polluted and destroyed entire provinces of China in the pursuit of those. They don't care. No, and I I love to tell the story. I happen to be in Beijing um, about the time of the 2007 Olympics, and and I recall learning at the time that leading into the Olympics, um, Beijing had put out an order that all fabrication, all manufacturing, anything that pollu- created a pollutant of any sort was mandated to cease production and shut down 10 days prior to the start of the Summer Olympics and 10 days at the end of the Summer Olympics. Why? Because they didn't want athletes and visitors from around the world coming to either participate or observe the games to be exposed to Beijing's choking pollution. 
Um, I mean, think of anybody who's been in California for a long time. Remember how you used to drive into the L.A. Basin from I-5? And just as you were coming in from the grapevine and, and heading in to see the L.A. Basin, that orange band, you almost think it looked like it, the L.A. was on fire. Well, it, it was pollution. Uh, that's the way Beijing typically looks. And yet, sadly, uh, they've been able to be competitive against everyone else because they don't play the, by the same rules. Joyce, can you stay with us for one more segment? Sure. Great. we got more to talk about, and I, I don't want to uh, uh, spurn off this part of the conversation or truncate it uh, too rapidly and, and do it an injustice. Joyce Cordy is with us today. She, of course, is the host of Reimagine America. Heard Sundays at 9 a.m. on our sister station at 860 a.m. The Answer. Information, resources, and podcasts available at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Come back to more, talk more trade, talk about North Korea as Lifeline continues with Joyce Cordy. Right now, though, we'll look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to the conversation. Joyce Cordy with us. You can catch her show Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. And more information available at Joyce's website, reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. How long do you think this is going to continue? Um, you know, the, the irony here, of course, is as uh, between President Xi and President Trump, uh, there, there's a major difference between these two guys, and that is this. President Trump has to think about running for re-election next year. President Xi doesn't have to worry about it till he dies. So the Chinese are, aside from the economics of it all, in a position where at least politically, Xi doesn't care whether he gets a deal done this week, next month, 20 years from now. Uh, that's not the same for President Trump. So how do you imagine, looking at the cast of characters here, how is this going to play out as we move into the 2020 election? Well, since we threw away most of our really big cards, like, you know, like like calling China what it is, a developed nation and the world's biggest polluter, and saying, you know, combine and tying trade to reducing your carbon output, we threw all those things away. So right now, if you're reading the polls and you're chief, you're saying, I'm going to gamble that I'm going to be dealing with a far less contrarian person in 2021. And so you're going to drag this out because he has no, no downside from doing that where Trump needs a deal. I mean, the Chinese think in centuries. We think in 13-week quarters. And, and that's a really different way to do business. But, you know, from our point of view, from, from the personal consumption point of view, we should, all, we should remind all the listeners that, you know, that first rainstorm in October when you have this black stuff on your car the next morning and you're grumbling, that, ladies and gentlemen, is Chinese coal dust. We all live on one planet. And so if you want China to be a better partner in a whole lot of different ways, look for alternatives to made in China. This is a, you know, you want to help President Trump? Don't buy Chinese-made products. Yeah, I've long said that, uh, you know, uh, to the degree to which we love to, you know, get a bargain and save money, uh, just recognize that every time you're buying Chinese-made goods, uh, you're helping to to underwrite 
um, a, a pretty nasty regime and one that's creating more problems from the world that certainly than, than helping. I want to pivot to a, a final topic before our time runs out today, Joyce, and that is the issue of North Korea. Uh, the president indicates, and he said, as some of the, the ongoing um, short-range ballistic missiles testing continues, he said that it, I'm, I'm loosely quoting here, that it bothers some of his people, but it, it doesn't bother him because he trusts Chairman Kim to keep his promise. Uh, clearly, that notion of not being bothered is not shared by the prime minister of South Korea nor Japan. Is there more dog and pony show going on here than than real substance in relationship to North Korea ever coming to the table and delivering on even promises real or imagined to surrender its nuclear weapons program? Is there ever a scenario in which you can imagine that happening? No. No. One, wouldn't happen unless China was exerting... Um, uh, a whole lot of pressure, um, and it also um, wouldn't. And and if 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 uh, Kim was to were to give up his most uh, precious weapons, right? His people would rise in mass, and he'd be one dead duck. I mean, remember, this is this guy is so benign. You know, you see a fat little pudgy um, body, and, and you think, oh, well. Um, but this guy machine gun. He used an anti-aircraft type machine gun to execute his own uncle. That takes a particular kind of crazy. So, no, I don't see, I mean, I, it, again, Trump walked into this, and Obama told him North Korea is going to be your biggest problem. But North Korea needs toughness, not love. Um, and and there and there is an area where again we should be holding the Chinese to account because the Chinese are violating the sanctions as are the Russians. You know the guys that that the um, the, the guy that that Trump wants to invite to back into the G8 is the biggest petroleum violator of the UN sanctions against North Korea. So until you have a collective world, until you scare the Chinese enough to think, oh my God, if he fires a missile at South Korea or at Japan, what would keep him from firing one at me? Um, I don't see how we resolve this. I mean, we do not want to go into a nuclear war um but now we are threatened with something that was written in a novel 20 years ago when the North Koreans this week unveiled a new submarine which is capable of carrying a nuclear-tipped uh, torpedo or missile. Yeah, and I'm afraid your, your observation is uh, regrettably, painfully right on the mark, and that is that what North Korea needs to hear is tough talk. Um, and, you know, while there was a little bit of poking of that bear going on uh, early on, you know, the president referring to Kim as rocket man, so on and so forth, <clears throat> at the end of the day, trying to come to the table and sit down and negotiate um, with Kim uh, in, in a fashion the way you would sit down and talk about, you know, securing the borders between the U.S. and Mexico with the president of Mexico or uh, talking about tourism into Canada with the uh, uh, Justin Trudeau it doesn't work that way, 
And there is a 50-plus year familial history of crazy in North Korea and a level of brutality that is unmatched certainly by, I won't say all, but, but most of the modern world. And I speak from a position of authority because I've been there. I've studied it. And I can tell you that to a person, anyone who thinks that you can just sit down, be nice, send Dennis Rodman over with, you know, a dress and crazy hair uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, a basket full of gifts and uh, get, uh, get an agreement that uh, Kim is going to surrender his nuclear weapons program. The one thing that keeps him in power, the one thing that legitimizes him to his people and the rest of the world are nuclear weapons. And first and foremost, be mindful that before feeding the people of North Korea, before putting on big colorful shows, before being invited to the United Nations, before any of that, the most important thing, singularly, is now, always has been, and I'm fearful as long as that family regime continues, will continue to be the maintenance of power of the Kim dynasty over North Korea. That is priority number one. Anything that threatens that will not be tolerated. And every tool that helps to defend or support that will be emphatically embraced, much as Kim has emphatically embraced the nuclear weapons program. Joyce Cordy, we appreciate the time. We want to offer our listeners an opportunity to catch more insights. Hey, why not do it as early as this Sunday? Check out Reimagine America. Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer. That's 860 a.m. The Answer right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. More of Joyce's musings, insights, resources, and podcasts of recent shows available at her website, reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. And our thanks to Joyce Cordy for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. Time now for an update on traffic, 6 o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.